0: The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Wick nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Go!
1: And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.
0: Thank you for downloading another edition of the 5 Reasons Podcast. Now today's guest, Channing Crowder, can let it fly, so to speak. So listener discretion is advised.
1: Welcome into the latest episode of the 5 Reasons Podcast. I'm Ethan Skolnick here as always with Chris Winningham. Now that you've found us, make sure that you hit the subscribe or follow button on your favorite podcast provider so you get all of our old episodes as well as all of our new episodes as soon as they post. On some providers, you may need to hit notifications and turn those on. Also, check out the other 12 podcasts in our network. Our our next guest has already appeared on one of them, The Fish Tank. Check that one out with O.J. McDuffie and Seth Levitt. They had Louis Oliver on this past week. Another great episode. Also, check out Swings and Mishes on the Marlins. Goldie on Ice has a new episode about the Panthers with Jack Capuano, their associate coach, former coach of the Islanders as the Panthers start up tonight and also of course check out three yards per carry a new episode miami heat beat and all of the others we've done a lot of basketball this week we're still on jimmy butler hostage crisis watch uh this is day day 22 i have a new episode up on our Patreon feed right now so by the time you hear this uh jimmy will have torched the entire facility the mayo clinic facility in minnesota so be sure to check up on that but we're going to get to some dolphins here um, because it's been about four days We feel like enough mourning has been done, but we needed the right guest for this episode, someone who would be honest and tell it like it is. And so we brought in Channing Crowder. And as I mentioned, Channing uh, has already been on the fish tank. You should check out his two episodes there. You also can catch him uh, with Mark Hockman every day on WQAM 560 at 2 o'clock. But he's a little more allowed to do and say certain things on here. So this this should be a fun episode. And we're going to start here with you, Channing, um, the offense. Um, I know it's not the side of the ball that you played on, but certainly you were affected by what happened on that side. And I just want to give you uh, some numbers, and maybe you can tell me kind of why this is happening. Um, since Adam Gase was hired 2016, the Dolphins have played in 37 games, so that's 37 first quarters. They've led after nine of the 37. They've scored more than seven points only once. They've averaged 2.4 points in the first quarter, including 1.4 this season. They've got eight offensive touchdowns in 37 first quarters, and they went scoreless in 21 of them. Whose fault is that?
2: Uh, Adam Gase. You have to put it on him. You know, congratulations too. five reasons, 13 damn, damn, (laughs) damn, uh, what shows. That's doing something, man. Congratulations, y'all. But, uh, but yeah, man, it's, um, it's, it's obvious. You look at it. Honestly, when you went to the first quarter, first thing popped in my mind was the beginning of last year with Jay Cutler, where they were averaging eight points a game. You know, that Saints run when they got the hell beat out of them overseas and the Jets when Devontae scored the, you know, the garbage six at the end and all that. So I think that Jay Cutler, you know, that honestly last year was a waste of Dolphin fandom, Dolphin franchise, bringing in Jay Cutler with Tannehill's knee, but a bigger picture because like you said before that there was sixteen with Tan or twelve with Tannehill in that playoff run when the you know the Steelers beat the hell out of him in the wild card. And in this season, starting off so 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 bad you know, especially starting, especially jumping out the gate. Putting points on the board. I was an Adam Gates guy. I still, I still am an Adam Gates guy. He just—they're not moving where I thought they would this year. I've talked about it. When I saw Tannehill, when I saw 16, I was like, okay. In the past with Tannehill, Joe Philbin's garbage ass, and and Bill Lazor, who's doing decent in Cincinnati right now, but um, who was it? Dan Campbell and and all these guys before that. That damn uh Mike Sherman, the guy that came from Texas A&M with him, he's in Canada. His ass was in high school two years ago after he left the Dolphins. So I think it was bad up to them. But when they got together, I thought, okay, Adam Gase, this quarterback whisperer, I saw what he did with Peyton Manning um, in Denver. I saw what happened with Jay Cutler when Jay still wanted to play damn football in Chicago, one of his better seasons, not an amazing season, so I was high on him. I thought he was this offensive mind. These first couple games showed you something, and then you got to pull back. Like, does he really know? Because when I went, when we went into this season, the first game, you remember they came out and they had the pistol formation and all the innovative stuff, where they had Frank Gore and Drake in the backfield. Okay, you're doing something. And then they go back and they did the RPO against the Jets. Then the Raiders game, they had the Jet sweep package with Jachim Grant, Albert Wilson, all those guys. That's what it's supposed to be. That's what Adam Gates was supposed to do. He's not doing that for me. He's not being the innovative offensive mind I thought he would. They got rid of Clyde Christensen's ass, brought in Dow Loggins, and it seemed like it jacked up something, but just overall the start, the coming out the gate, the I don't want to say trick, because I don't I don't like gimmicks. I don't I don't wanna say, you know, trick 'em and get in wildcat all game. But just some innovative stuff. And I'm on I'm on a Tannehill bandwagon. He's starting, he's overcooking my grits right now, but I've been on the Tannehill bandwagon. But when you have Tannehill, you know you don't have Drew Brees. You know you don't have Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers. You don't have those guys. you not Joe Montana. You have to put him in advantageous situations to make plays. And it seems like he's just calling the the offense he ran with Peyton Manning is a great example where you can't do that with Tannehill. You have to take what you have, just like the Patriots do, just like Bill Belichick does. You maximize your strengths and you try to hide your weaknesses. I don't think Adam Gates is doing a good job of that, especially this year. And then, like I said, 2017 was just garbage because Jay Cutler was there. but. Adam Gase was supposed to be this guy that comes in, sees what you have. If you got chicken, make damn chicken salad. But hell, if you got some fish, fry that damn fish up and make some fucking fries on the side and eat that. Like, you have to figure out what to do. And I'm starting now, just about the last two weeks, I'm starting to not believe that Gase can do that. That Gase can put together a game plan, come out the gate, kind of, you know, have something to sneak up on somebody, have them adjust, and then he adjusts back, and then now you're playing that game with chess. Like you said, Ethan... I play defense, but I was always going against the offense and I had to know how to play chess. I had to know how to play chess against them. So I knew that if you started hitting the edges in a run game, we're going to send double edge pressure. Now, when we send double edge pressure, the flats are going to be empty. There's going to be evacuation on the outside zones. OK, so now you can run comebacks like I know the progression. I know the maturation of an offense. And I'm not seeing that out of Adam Gates in his offense. I was giving the giving the excuse. If you want to say of personnel, offensive line struggling, they're bringing in guys, getting hurt, blah blah blah. After I saw a couple games this year of some innovative stuff, and now against the Patriots, you go, you're being innovative, you're doing your thing, you're trying to find an offense, you're helping Tannehill out, and then you play the big dogs. You walk off the you walk off the damn porch and you jump out there with the with the, with the man with the motherfuckers out there, and you nut up. You go back to a high school offense. I don't know what's going on there, but. The whole, I call it Gacy Hill, uh, Whittingham knows it. I call it Gacy Hill. I call it Tanny Gase. That combination together is what I was, I was hoping for this year. I was really believing in this year. But especially these last couple games, and like you, like you said, Ethan, early on in some of them, early in the Raiders' first half was garbage as hell. Mm-hmm. The Jets' first half was you know, pretty decent. But you just go back, they start slow. All the way back when he came in 2016, they always start slow. It has to be on Adam Gates because, like I said, if you saw the RPOs, if you saw the jet sweep package, if you saw the pistol formation, he has it, but when are you going to call it? When are you going to maximize it? When is that shit going to work? And that's what's frustrating me, and that's why I think those numbers come from, leading only after nine, you know, nine first quarters out of 37. That's embarrassing. You have to come out the gate. And when you do come out the gate, don't be surprised when them fuckers adjust. Have something for them. Know that if you're hitting, if you're five wide, they're either gonna blitz or they're gonna um, cover. If they cover, have some screen stuff, have some crossers. If they blitz, have some check downs, have some quick game. Like it, I, I can't call an offense, but I know what the maturation of an offense looks like when you do when you do try to stop what they're loaded up in. And I don't see that with Gates. I really don't see that, especially this year. I don't see him looking and saying, Oh, they're doing this. Oh, they got in cover four. Let me hit four vertical. Let me put let me put pressure on these safeties. He's really not maturing this offense, and after three years, I don't want to give 17 just a, you know, just say, oh, it's nothing, but combined with that, 16 with the success, 17 with the drop-off, and now going into this season after five games, I'm slowly starting to not believe Adam Gase is this offensive play-calling guru that we were sold on when he first came in.
0: Okay, so I've got a couple of responses to that. The first is, is that we're kind of focusing on Adam Gase right now when we've, basically blamed everyone that's been around Ryan Tannehill since he came into being the Dolphins quarterback. They've literally changed everything about the franchise except for the owner, front office, coaching, offensive coordinator, quarterback coaches, supporting cast, offensive line, wide receivers, running backs. Everything has changed except for Ryan Tannehill. So I definitely think he deserves his share of the blame because, and this is sort of my, my, my second counter, is that I think the way that Adam Gay sets up his offense and opening drives is what he wants Wants his offense to be short completions, get the ball out of the quarterback's hands quickly, set up second and short and third and short. And for whatever reason, every time out, they can't execute it. And as much as we want Adam Gase to be the one who fixes that problem. And I think over the course of games, he has shown particularly at home that he can make those adjustments. I do think that the way that he comes out is the way that he wants his team to play, and I think the frustration from my vantage point is that, first off, it's a very high degree of difficulty offense in that it basically requires you to go 15 plays and never make any mistakes on your way towards going all the way into score. And that's why I think they fail on so many opening drives. But I also think it, like, whenever you ask him about it, if you ask him about, like, for example, that third down and one play uh, after Frank Gore got a couple of runs in the second half that really should have, you know, gone a long way towards icing the game. He basically says, you know, we, we wanted to run a play action. We wanted to have Tannehill either throw, throw the short option or he had an option in intermediate range or for him to run. But we didn't execute certain elements of it. And he blames the execution of it. Why don't we blame the execution of it and pin it all on the coach?
2: Oh, I, listen. Tannehill, like I said, he's no damn Joe Montana. He's not, he, he's not going to go out there and throw 60 times and win a game. I look back at the analytics. I haven't looked into it. I think if Tannehill throws over forty times, thirty-five times, I would say they lose a lot of those games. And that's 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 my thing with Tannehill. Tannehill is not a Hall of Famer. He is not going, you know, to any. He's not going to be on any walls with that dolphin helmet next to it in any big venue after he retires. But when you look around this league, like what they're what people are doing with young quarterbacks now, and the Josh Rosen success, the little, uh, you know, Josh Allen, the 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 Sam Darnold, the Baker Mayfield. Those guys, the encouragement behind those guys is that you don't know what they are, but you still don't know what they are. They could be garbage as hell just like Tannehill. They look a little, Darnold has up, Darnold has down. Tannehill, that's my thing with Tannehill. I tell people all the time, do I like Tannehill? Yes. Is he the the franchise savior? No. You're just going to get rid of him? Who are you going to bring in? What are you going to do? If you're not drafting a guy, don't go tell me I'm getting Brock Dam or I'm going to get Luke Falk to see what he has or Bryce Petty and all that stuff. So... The, the 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 mistake, I think, Chris, that you're talking about is the is the Kansas City plan where you had Alex Smith. And I believe it's perfect example. I believe Tannehill's ceiling. Tannehill's best is Alex Smith right now. That's what Tannehill can be. But what did Andy Reid, my second favorite coach in the NFL after Belichick, what did he do? He went and got Patrick Mahomes, let him sit, let him mature, let him watch Alex and uh, traded Alex, got assets back and then started the young guy. That's where the mistake was made. When you talk about the execution, you talk about the personnel, you talk about the roster. That's where the biggest mistake for the Dolphins have been made for six damn seasons. Matt Moore, a career backup. this all this motherfucker's done. Carolina, when his contract was up, nobody offered him. So his contracts up, nobody offers Matt Moore. And then the Dolphins bring him in the backup again, bring him in the backup. He's a damn career backup. He's not going to do anything for you. Big picture. That's why I think the mistake in the quarterback was made, but Tannehill, I think that, like I said, he has to be in a great situation. It's like the RG3, that rookie of RG3, where he was in a good situation. It was that Shanahan had the RPO crap where he can go out there and read just one safety. If he jumps in the box, throw it outside. If he stays too high, you let the ball go to the running back. That stuff can be successful if you know what you're using. If, like I said, if you're, if you're making – if you got Tannehill, you can't make no fucking Steve Young cake. You got to make a Tannehill cake. Steve Young cake's not coming. You know what I'm saying? And that's what the thing with Tannehill is. Chris, I'm not saying he's the savior. I'm not saying that we should, uh, we should give him an excuse. It's all on the coaches. I'm just saying that Tannehill is serviceable. I'll tell you this. If Tannehill, if the Dolphins release Tannehill, and I think if this season goes downhill, this is Tannehill's last year, I want to say that, oh, I'm $52 million over the next two seasons, something stupid like that. He's going to go start somewhere, and I believe somebody else could maximize Tannehill to a point where Gates hasn't. But is Tannehill off the hook? No. Cause you know, I'm a Tannehill guy. I've been arguing for this damn bastard for damn this. Well, no, not damn near seven years. Now I've been fighting about this damn Ryan Tannehill. He's starting to overcook my grits this year. You have to look at crap. I was looking at crap last game, Chris, when they're blitzing, I'm like, I don't know where this blitz is coming from, but I'm seeing the safeties. I'm seeing their feet. I'm seeing the corners, how they're sitting in the catch technique. They are sending pressure. What's your check down? What's your quick read? What's your first progression, second progression? They're blitzing. I need to change them. goddamn progressions. progression. He's not doing that. So is Tannehill progressing? Has Tannehill did, did Tannehill become better from the second Calais Campbell bust his fucking knee up last year, Arizona when he was well, he had three touchdowns, two hundred yards pass. He was balling in that game. When I looked at that, I'm like, okay, he was balling. He had him going to the playoffs already. Now give him a year of mental, you know, mental work watching Jay, breaking down the film, you know, seeing where Adam Gage is coming from. Now he's gonna come back 2018, showing out. We're gonna really see Ryan Dam Tanner, RT seventeen, do his thing. It hasn't happened. I was wrong if people want to hear that. It has not happened what I really thought the maturation, the jump from 2016 to now. But I'm not letting Tannehill off the hook. This, this, these first five games, even with the wins, I have started to question his decision-making. And more than that, his adjustments in game, his adjustments why the crap's going on, why you see them, hey, they've hit you twice off the right edge. You have to know they're going to continue to send it, man. It's fucking obvious. That's the part I'm getting about Tannehill: his football IQ, his maturation, his understanding of an offense. And then it gets back to Gase. has he really, has he really taught Tannehill what he needs to know for them adjustments? So that's why I say it's it's crazy. Chris gets Ethan; he gets pissed when I say it. The <laughs> Gacy Hill Tannehill Gates combination is what I was banking on, and I think I might have gone damn bankrupt if I loaded up all my money into it because it's it's not looking very good right now. I'm with y'all guys.
1: We'll get back to our conversation here with Channing Crowder here in a second. But first, I want to tell you about BetDSI.com. You've got to go check out this site, and you've got to use our promo code REASON101. That's R-E-A-S-O-N-101. You'll get your initial deposit matched up to $2,500. Chris, what are you thinking about doing this week? So if we were talking about the Dolphins in this
0: episode, if you're interested in betting the Dolphins right now, they're a three-point underdog at home, which obviously they were without offensive linemen, and it's been a rough go the, the, these last two games, but... The one thing we do know about the Dolphins is that they're good at home. So they're three-point dogs at home, plus 143 on the money line. But I got something that I'm really interested in, in college football this weekend. University of Miami taking on Virginia, only a a six-and-a-half-point favorite away from home, which when you consider sort of where the two programs are, you'd think that Miami would be a bigger favorite. Only six-and-a-half. And UCF, we talk about them a lot here on the program and certainly in the group chat as being the best team in the state. Only favored by four and a half away from home against Memphis. If you parlay that, you can get some decent odds somewhere around maybe plus 250, plus 260. You can get a decent line on that. So Miami minus six and a half, UCF minus four and a half this weekend. If you want to bet at BetDSI.com, use the promo code REASON101.
1: You're so good at this that you've actually moved on to my part two. So I, I want to I hit it a little bit more than you did, but you kind of touched on this when you're talking about them having Matt Moore there for so many years, and now what are we going to do turn to Brock Osweiler? It strikes me that what this organization has done all along, and this goes way back here, is baby Ryan Tannehill in the sense of not putting anybody else on the roster who can be competition. And Chris and I talked before the draft about the idea of getting up and getting one of those young players young quarterbacks. I was very much in favor of it, no matter what you needed to get up, whether it was a Rosen or whatever, so that you could do the Kansas City plan and ultimately turn it over. And instead, what they did was, A, not move up and draft anybody, B, not get anybody competent in free agency who could push Tannehill in the slightest way. They got a guy in Osweiler who literally the first ever NBA trade in the NFL was done where Houston so badly wanted to get rid of him that they essentially gave up a draft pick just so Cleveland would take his money, which never happens in the NFL. That only happens in the NBA. And that's who they made the backup quarterback here. So whose fault is that Channing? In your opinion, is that Gase wanting to make sure that Tannehill doesn't feel any pressure from anybody else on the roster? Or does that go to Tannenbaum and Greer?
2: I think it, I, honestly, I think it goes to Gase. I don't think that Greer, No, you know, Greer was a, you know, the, he he came to Florida to, to to recruit me or to interview me. We'll say it's not recruit. Interview me when I was coming out in 05. He came down there. He's been in the organization a long time. I don't know how much power he really has. I don't know if Chris Greer can say, if Adam Gates says, hey, we want a quarterback in the first round. I don't know if Chris Greer can say, no, coach, we're taking Minka Fitzpatrick if he's available. I don't know if he's that strong, if he's that guy. Cannonball, we know we know what he did with the Jets. We know he'll fuck up an organization. He drafted some good guys this year, but last year, you're looking at what Charles Harris is doing. You're looking at some of these damn drafts. Devontae Parker's getting on my goddamn nerves. You're looking at the guys they added. So I would have to blame whoever's in charge. I don't think it's Chris Grier to be honest. I don't know if I'm just, you know, going off what I know and his, his lineage with the Dolphins. But I would blame it right on Adam Gase. I'm, Gase has attached himself. They're married to me. Gase can't, you can't cut Tannehill, let Gase just draft a guy this year and say, okay, Gase, let's keep going. You've told me. You, you, you banged into my head, Hills, the guy, year after year after year. He might have he gained my ass up. It might be why, why I loved it because I really go and talk to gays, you know, face-to-face, you know, or sitting in the room. So I might have I ate the cheese. I might have drank the Kool-Aid talking to gays. You told me this is the guy. You loaded up and said this is the guy. So I'm assuming when they get in that draft room, when they get in, when they start, you know, grinding on these college guys, that's still his, his message to the organization. Hey, we have this pick. We, You know, what was last year? It was 11. We have 11. You know, there will be a quarterback available. There's four guys, and actually five guys win the first round. There's going to be some people available. No, 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 we don't need a quarterback. We don't? No, we don't. Okay, motherfucker, <laughs> you, you're the one that said it. I think it has a lot to do with Gaze, him being the quarterback guru. Kind of the reason they brought him in was that he was supposed to be this quarterback guy. He was supposed to figure out the offense. What'll get you hired is what'll get you fired. I believe that, Tana, that, that, that uh, Adam Gase attached himself to Tannehill. And right now, I don't know if he'll say it in public, but I think when he's laying in bed, you know, looking at the sky at night, looking at the roof at night, he might be like, uh, he ain't looking at the fucking roof, probably looking at the ceiling. Who looked at the roof? When uh, he's looking at the ceiling at night, he has to question that thought. Why have I stuck with this guy through one season, through an injury, and now loaded my, loaded my, lo- loaded my job up, really, my head coaching job, I believe, with him coming off an injury when he really hasn't done much in the past. That first year with the playoff year might have been some fool's gold. So I think it's on Tanne. I um I think it's on Gates. I think if Gates walked in, I think if when whoever was drafting eight or nine last year in the draft, when Arizona, you saw it come out, and Arizona was at fifteen, they're about to jump to ten. Everybody knew they're jumping to ten. The Dolphins were at eleven. They could jump to 10 easier than the goddamn um, Cardinals to go up there and get Josh Rosen, who I, he, who I like more than uh, Josh Allen and Baker Mayfield. I, I don't know why they wouldn't go about it that way, why you wouldn't find a backup, why you wouldn't go drug Drew Blood so Tom Brady, why you wouldn't go Montana Young, why you wouldn't go to, hey, we have a guy. What's the bad about having a backup plan? Diversify your portfolio. You're talking about investments. You don't just put all your goddamn money into Bitcoin. You got to work the real estate market. You got to move it around. Why would you not diversify your chances of getting better at quarterback, going to get sorry fucking Brock Osweiler, sitting around with six, seventh round free agents of the past. I can't remember. So a Dowdy. Y'all probably know more names than me. Just these guys they're bringing in. He's going to push them. He's not going to push no goddamn body. He can't push a grocery cart. <laughs> That was the mistake. I think they put all their eggs in his Tannehill. But not they. Gates put all his eggs in his Tannehill basket. And if it doesn't swing very fast, very soon, if this if this season really turns and starts falling downhill, I think Gates is on the hot seat, and I think the Dolphins will get rid of Tannehill before they have to give him this extra $50 million.
1: We'll get back to Channing Crowder here in a second. Now, you wouldn't make an investment in the stock market without checking out the company or checking out the way that the chart has been moving and so why should sports be any different that's why you've got to download for free on google play if you're android or on the itunes app store you've got to download for free the BetQL app that's the BetQL app we've been telling you about this every week if you've been doing it you've been winning when you've been gambling on various sporting events chris what are you finding on there now
0: Yeah, in terms of BetQL right now, betting on the NFL this weekend, we're taking a look at Thursday Night Football, which features the Eagles taking on the Giants. The Eagles right now, three-point favorites, taking on the G-Men. The public action is 50-50, so they over at BetQL think that you can get some decent value on this because... At BetQL, they're rating this a three-star bet because they consider the Eagles to be an 11-point favorites when they're only three-point favorites. They do not think very highly of the New York Football Giants, so they think there is value in betting the Philadelphia Eagles tonight. Either minus, they're minus two and a half at BetDSI, even better there, three-point favorites on their line. So check out all that kind of data and much more
1: over at BetQL. Go to the Apple App Store or go to Google Play and download BetQL today. All right, let's get to number three here, because you can speak to this directly. Um, you were here from 2005 through 2010. So you played for th- what is it? three different full-time head coaches, right? And then, yeah. and then okay, and then an interim. Um, but I go back to 2007 and all the talk about how the Dolphins needed an offensive coach. They needed an offensive coach. They needed an offensive coach. They could have had Mike Tomlin. They could have had a bunch of other guys, but they needed an offensive coach. So they go out and they get Cam Cameron. And Cam Cameron comes in and he decides from the very beginning he's going to call the plays. And I have talked about this on the pod before with Chris, but I wrote an article at the time talking to a lot of his mentors who did not think that was a good idea, that there was too much of the rest of the team that you have to take care of, and that ultimately it would come back to bite Cam. And I actually talked to Cam about that story afterwards, and he said, yeah, a lot of these guys made really good points, and I really liked the article, but I'm still going to do it. And Channing, we know how that worked out. Should Adam Gase, in your view, give up play calling?
2: I think at this point, yes. I think at this point, let, let Dow do more. There's, Ethan, there's people that can do it. Like I said, Andy Reid, he can do it. Uh, who is it? Mike McCarthy. That's where that fucking Joe Philbin came from, being Mike McCarthy's do-boy because he was the OC in Green Bay when Mike McCarthy was calling all the plays and he was doing the end-week prep and all that crap. There are people that can do it. I believe Belichick, Belichick calls a lot of defensive plays for the Patriots. There are guys that can do it. But you have to be honest with yourself and know if you can't do it. Philbin, I mean, um, yeah, uh, uh, Cam couldn't do it, obviously. One of 15, he was terrible. He was lame. He, he had no respect. Players were cussing him out. So it was bigger than that. But the, the, the point of calling plays is that you're a head coach and you hire an OC. There's that, there's, that, there's that hierarchy. There's that totem pole. There's that pyramid. If you can't be the top of the pyramid and the next step down, you have to be honest with your
1: damn self. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. to get ten percent off your first month, again that's BetterHelp H E L P dot com slash Miami Heat.
2: And after what you said, the numbers you put out there earlier, Ethan, and just what we've seen out of this offense—quarters and quarters of getting your ass drugged—you know, uh, three, four series in a row, punt, 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 turnover. You have to look at that at some point and say, you know what? What if I had a, somebody else doing it? this? What I had another mind, another opinion? I personally. I don't think coaches, especially new coaches, unproven coaches, should come in with this swag of I'm going to call the plays and be the head coach. The the names I said, everybody knows Andy Reid. Everybody knows Mike McCarthy. Everybody knows Belichick. Those guys that do it can do it. But if you can't do it, why throw yourself under the damn bus by trying? Because that's what what Gase is doing. He's putting it all on him. If this offense doesn't work, you're picking the groceries and you're making the meal. It's not working. This shit is nasty. I do not like... The if you're not that dog Hall of Fame coach, I don't like the head coach calling the plays. And I believe if the offense continues to go the way it is, he should give it up. And it might be his only out. It might be his thing where he gives it up. It was his decision to give it up, and so now he looks like okay, he's making some adjustments. And if they start playing well, but I think that this offensive success for the remainder of the season is what Adam Gates his his job is off of. So he has to look at that and say, hey. Do I really want to sink with my ship? Am I going to be that goddamn dude in Titanic that's standing behind that wheel with the water running up my leg, knowing I'm about to sink and just keep calling these plays, standing there, holding on to the damn steering wheel? I don't know what he's going to do. He's a he's cocky as hell now. I don't know if people know. Adam Gage is a cocky, cocky fella. I don't know if he can realize that, but like you said, with Cam Cameron's failure at it, with the other failures I've seen in the past, the guys that tried to do it and just aren't capable, aren't good enough. That's the thing about being cocky. Can you tell yourself, I'm not good enough to do this, to be both positions, to be the the top of that pyramid and another step down. I'm not good enough to do that. Let me use my help. If he can't come to that conclusion, he is standing behind his damn Titanic wheel and that water's about to drown his fucking ass.
0: But the thing for me is that you look at the new coaches that are coming in from an offensive standpoint – And almost all of them are doing this. Matt Nagy going to Chicago, who the Dolphins play this weekend, is doing it. Now, that's been a mixed bag of success as well. But I would say the most standout success has been Sean McVay with the Los Angeles Rams. Going out there, he calls the plays, and they have the most dynamic offense in football. Kyle Shanahan got off to a rough start, but once Jimmy Garoppolo came in, he's calling the plays, and it's working for him up until the point that Garoppolo gets hurt. So I'm not going to rule out the idea completely because it seems like all the young offensive not, uh, young offensive minds that are brought in, it's almost a prerequisite of the job, as you also call the plays. I guess the question is, is what you said, Channing, which is, is he up for doing both? Because maybe it's not something that everyone is good at. The thing that I always kind of noticed coming in when it, whenever, I wa- whenever I went to training camp in 2016 was it seemed like Adam Gase made being with the quarterbacks and with the offense a priority. And you almost wonder if he is actually kind of an offensive coordinator with a head coach's job title, and but that that's, that only kind of further confuses, I think, all of us in sort of going, well, hold, hang on a second. If this is all that you're doing, if this is the, the the primary focus of your job, then why isn't the offense better? And and why and, and do you actually have that offensive genius that a Shanahan or McVeigh clearly seem to have and clearly seem to be able to negotiate? And you don't.
2: Oh yeah, listen. I'll tell you this. I don't need any more. Te- I don't need any more film to tell you that he's no McVeigh. I'm serious. I don't need any more film now. Nagy, Nagy, I've seen some 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 chinks in the armor there because that Green Bay game, they come out with all that cricky, sneaky, pretty shit, and then they get choked out in the second half and end up losing that game. So even that Nagy, I've seen some. I've seen some 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 drop off there. But like McVay can do it. McVay jumped in and he jumped right into that you know that damn Andy Reid mold. He's good enough. Gase isn't good enough. We've seen it. Like you said, two uh, a year with McVay off back. Look what happened to golf after he got rid of, sorry, Jeff Fisher. Golf started balling. Having Gurley's not hurting. Having these offensive weapons isn't hurting. But you see McVay, you see the offense, you see the explosiveness, you see what he wants to do. I'll give you that, Chris. He can do it. I'm not sold on Nagy yet. There are people that can do it. Gaze has to be realistic with himself and say, if I can or if I can't. And if he can't, he has to go in, be honest with himself, and find something else. Don't just Don't, don't just stick with the status quo. Don't stick with... Damn, nine first, uh, first quarter leads at the 37 games. Don't stick with that because that is going to choke you out in the long run. It can be done. I'm not a fan of it. But as the NFL matures, as honestly just the NFL changes, the whole landscape changes, I think guys want to be in control, but you have to have some trust factor there. So is it the right way? I don't know. But I think there might be more you know more than one way to skin a cat. Is it Adam Gase's way? I'm confident enough at this point after, you know, after the 37 games, after three years to say, hey, you might want to ask, reach out, help somebody. He got rid of Clyde Christensen, brought in down Logan. You obviously saw nobody changes. Nobody makes the changes. They don't see a problem. So you change OCs, you have to see a problem. Then you don't let either one of these motherfuckers do their job. It just, it seems like it's a flawed thought. So thinking that Adam Gase is going to figure this out now, I think it's a little too farther, and I think I think you're to a point where you know you're damn, you know you're 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 six months behind on mortgage. Talking my man, I need I'm, I might need to change my job. Too late, too late. You need to figure this out. You need to figure it out now. And changing right now, if you think about, it, if he was the off bat right now, say you know what, I'm gonna let Dow do this. There's gonna be a transition time. There's gonna be a a. a, a, a a time where they have to figure out Dow's mind frame from Gase's mind frame. And I think that will cause a a drop off. I don't know how many games or weeks or quarters, but that will cause a drop off. It's a dilemma right now with Adam Gase and who's going to call these plays because they're not working. If you're not doing the RPO, you're not doing the jet sweep. You're not doing the, uh, the damn uh, pistol stuff. You're not trying to create other things and then just running the ball. This is the one thing Gase too, bigger picture. Gase has told everyone in the past, he has to ask, uh, his, his coaching staff to remind him to run the ball. Remind you to run the ball. If you look at the, la- the last year, I've talked about this a number of times. Last year, I think out of the top six, not even rushing yards, not attempts per run, not none of that, just attempts in a game. Just a game. A t- how many times do you give the ball to one of your fucking backs? I think the top six teams, five of them were playoff teams. I don't care what people say. I'm old school. Y'all give me hell all the time. I love me a good old 13-10 football game. That's the kind of football I grew up on. If you cannot run the football, it is going to be very difficult to succeed. That's why Green Bay struggles, because they got a fucking t- a receiver at running back. The Patriots, did you see how they beat the Dolphins? They lined up in eye formation and gave the ball to Sonny Michelle out of the eye with a tight end 25 times. Good teams run. Gase. I don't know if he thinks he's too smart to run, but it's really too dumb if you're not running. You look at the numbers, rushing attempts. They averaged six yards per rush last week in Cincinnati and then gave up on it with a fucking second-half lead. Up by 17 in the second half, giving up on the run. It just doesn't make sense. Gase, to that point, is he too smart or is he too dumb for his own good to realize my stuff's not working? Let me get, let me change something. Let me adjust. Let me get a damn power run formation. I'm so frustrated not seeing the Dolphins have any double tight end sets, any wing sets. The Detroit Lions destroyed the Patriots with double wing coming across. They were zoning and having the zone cut where the tight end goes behind the line, cuts the backside in, and everybody has a cutback. Carryon Johnson and Garrett Blunt went crazy on that formation. I swore the next week the Dolphins were getting double tight end. They just didn't do it. Because Adam Gase's shotgun, two-by-two, two bunch trips, it's my stuff, it works. Why don't you do what everybody else does and copycat? There's a bigger picture, there's an X and O, but I think Adam Gase's ego or his, I tell the story all the time about Paul Pascaloni, and it's, it's funny to say, like the best defense coordinator I had, I had Mike Nolan. Nick Saban was a great coordinator. Um, Dom Capers was a genius. Then I got Paul Pascaloni's silly ass. First thing he ever said was, My defense works. If it doesn't, y'all are doing it wrong. And I said, that's the dumbest shit I've ever heard in my life. You have to figure out your personnel and adjust your your team to it. That's what smart coaches do. That's why Belichick's been so successful. That's why these guys are so successful. My shit doesn't work. Whatever works, works. And that's what Gates needs to figure out. Find out what works and run it. Don't say, my shit works. Your shit's not working. Those numbers you brought up, Ethan, earlier, that's embarrassing. Your shit's not working. So you have to adjust and it has to be done quick because I believe the, the the fan base have been tired of Gates and Tannehill for a while. I think now there's no there's no way Stephen Ross isn't regretting the fact that he hasn't been more involved with the decision on quarterback or more or maybe he might have said, you know what, this might not have been the best decision. Get bringing Adam Gates down here. If Adam Gase leaves the Dolphins, do y'all think he gets another head
1: coaching job? Immediately, no. Uh, but anything can happen. I mean, Tony got another job, right, after the fact. It was a few years later, but uh, and it was an interim situation. I mean, I could see it down the road, Channing, but right away, no, no. absolutely, Because it, it is about the offense, and that's one thing I wanted to ask you here real quick before I pivot to the defense with you, because I think this eventually weighs on the defense, and there are some stats here that I think you relate to. But you mentioned something earlier. We were talking about Saban. And I was just curious because Saban came in as a defensive coach. And when I used to go to those training camp practices, what they would let us see, I would watch you know, Saban all the time with the DBs, working with them directly, working with the defense. Was Nick involved with the offense, too? Because, I mean, that was one of the criticisms of him at the time, that he was too focused on one side of the ball.
2: I don't think Nick had anything to do with the offense to be honest. He uh, he was a defensive guy. He was always in our meeting room. He was in there with the linebackers. The, honestly, I would say he didn't have enough time to be in the offensive meeting because I saw his ass in every meeting. He was a defensive mind. And if you see his structure, even in college, he brings in the Sarkeesians. He had the who was it, Jim McIlwain, the guy that Florida tried. He was there. He brings I mean. in these offensive coaches to run his offense so he can concentrate on defense. Is that a flaw? I don't know. I really don't know because I, I think there's a lot of coaches out there that know, know their role, know their side of the ball, know what they can do, and they, they're they smart enough to hire somebody around them. If 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 Nick Saban was to get involved in the play calling office, I think it would have been a struggle. The way I think good coaches, that good defensive coaches like a Saban could affect the offense, show me your game plan. Let me look at what you're going to do. I'm going to show you how, if you hit me on this, how I'm going to adjust to it, and then you find a plan B. And when you show me your plan B, I'm going to give you my plan B. And now you can show me your plan C. And I think that's the way it should happen. I think smart coaches set it up in that manner. And I've talked to a number of coaches. You know, I'm real cool with uh, George Edwards, the, the D coordinator in Minnesota. We've talked a number of times and about this same thing. And he was like, that's what I like to do. I like to just work my X and O game, work my chess match against the OC. And we'll just go back and forth. And I'll show him my blitz package. He'll show me how he adjusts, and we can do it that way. It should be a group, a, 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 a collective effort. But the ego of Adam Gase, I don't know if he, would, if he does that, and I don't know if he'd like to do it because it's really other coaches calling you out on your stuff. I don't think Saban was a game day part of the offense, but I do think Saban would look at their game plan and say, hey, this is too damn simple. I would figure this out in three plays. And I'm sure that Belichick's going to figure this offensive game plan out. So was Saban calling the offensive plays? I'd say, hell no. I bet money on that. Does Saban go get in the O.C.'s ear every now and again and say, hey, they're going to do this to you? I believe that's the way good coaches do it.
1: We'll get back to Channing Crowder here in a second. As you know, Channing was a Gator. Our next sponsor was a Seminole. But don't hold that against her. you got to check out miss ink.com. That's miss-inc.com or call 305 305- 537-6465 Miss Inc Misty is a social media problem solver she does social media marketing and content writing been in business for more than 10 years and she believes in a personal customized approach to marketing so she only represents businesses like ours she's been working with us that are serious about taking their visibility to the next level if you've noticed the five reasons sports account has grown up over 7,000 followers she's had a lot of to do with that she can help you on twitter she can help you on facebook she can help you on instagram it's not optional these days it is an absolute necessity if you're going to promote your business also if you take out an ad package with five reasons sports you will get a free 30 minute consultation with missy over the phone she can help you get some of that stuff in order so check her out miss inkcom that's i-n-k miss inkcom in All right, let's talk about the defense a little bit. I'm going to give you some more numbers. Uh, 2005 through 2010, the years that you played for the Dolphins, you guys had top 15 defenses four times, and you had top six defenses twice. During that period of time, here were the offensive ranks, and this gets to what I want to get to about this current team, uh, and I'm sure you know some of these. 20th, 28th, 12th, 17th, 21st, 22nd. That's in yards. So one time a top 15 offense. And this has been a consistent problem for the Dolphins through the years, although Channing, this is actually the worst the Dolphins offense has ever been rated. 30th in the league right now in yards, never worse than 29th. Okay, not Dave's offenses, uh, Cameron's offenses, Philbin's offenses, none have been ranked where the Dolphins are right now. So we see the Dolphin defense is playing well. OK, I think in a lot of cases better than expectations. But at what point does three and out, three and out, three and out, punt, 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 fumble, interception, three and out, start to wear on this defense?
2: Oh, it, it really gets you. Like you're saying, I was on that 08 year. The, the, I mean, what was that? 07, the 1 and 15, the Cam Cameron year. Mm-hmm. We, we, I remember just sitting there and we're wearing games, wearing games, wearing games. And it's almost like somebody, you know, throwing rocks at a duck. You know, at 100 yards, if you just keep throwing rocks, sooner or later one of them is going to hit this damn duck. And that's what it feels like defensively, where you stop them. Then they get the ball right back. You stop them. They get the ball right back. You stop them and get the ball. These goddamn guys get paid, too. They got the same salary cap we do. They have players over there that are going to make a play sooner or later if you give them enough swings. Time of possession, I guarantee those years, were lopsided as hell. Uh, uh, offensive, total offensive plays were lopsided as hell. The One of the worst teams on third down right now, speaking of the Dolphins this year, one of the worst teams defensively on third down this year, but the defense is creating turnovers and getting that sudden change. And the Dolphins never capitalize on sudden change. It happened to us back in the day. We would get turnover. We had Sam Madison there. 0-6 was JT's defensive play of the year year. Interceptions out of JT. Sack force fumbles. You get a sack force fumble, giving the ball on the forty. They punt from the forty five. How in the fuck did you lose yards? We gave you the ball on the forty. How you punting from the forty five? That's when it starts eating you up. Is the time possession and just the number of plays and when these offense I don't care how bad a team is these coordinators are watching there's a bunch of guys up there in the box looking and writing down and looking at numbers and seeing if you're in an overset if you're in an underset if you're getting in the nickel on this you're getting in the dime on that and it's only a matter of time until you figure out a weakness there is a weakness in every defense if you tell me a defense I can tell you the exact hole in the coverage I can tell you the exact way you should run I can tell you the hole in every single defense they're going to find that out so when you're garbage on one side of the ball and exceptional, maybe not you know, great, but exceptional on the other side of the ball, it is only a matter of time until it breaks up. There was, I'm a Buccaneers fan that, that, that Warren Sapp, Simeon Rice, Derrick Brooks, John Lynch defense, Rondé Barber, they were good enough just to keep choking people out. Everybody knows about the um, Trent for Ravens. They were good enough to choke people out four quarters. I don't care how many goddamn plays y'all have. The Dolphins defense is good right now. They're not that good. Those are legendary defenses. Those are 85-bear type defenses. That is, that's what those guys were. If you're not that, you can't sit around and let people get 15, 16 um, possessions on you. you got to stay around that 9, 10, you know, double-digit, right at the front of double-digit range in possession. You start letting guys get the ball that much, 13, 14, 15 times, they will figure out a way to put that goddamn ball in the end zone. And that's what happens when you're lopsided on the, on the side of the, the ball. Just like last week, perfect example. The defense can keep you in the game. We can keep you in the game now. Turnovers, getting the ball, 17-0 going to the third quarter. And then the offense gives them 14 points. You can't do anything about that. That's what usually happens when the team is lopsided. Like you're saying, some of the teams I played on, you'll stay in the game, stay in the game, stay in the game, and it's just going to wear on you. Mentally, they're going to figure it out, and physically, they're going to wear you down. And sooner or later, there's going to be a hole somewhere in this defense, and they're going to take advantage of it. And that's what's happening with Dolphins for years. It happened when I was there, and it's still happening. These offenses are bad, and even if you have an exemplary defense, sooner or later you give them enough chances, they're going to hit that damn duck with that rock. I say that because I throw rocks at ducks behind my house when they try to rotate my kids.
0: (laughs) But uh, but it, to me, I, I want to get to sort of the positive elements of this defense. But I, I just think you look at the you, you mentioned you know giving them fourteen points and you're just going to lose one hundred percent of the time. It reminds me of what for me is one of the dumbest phrases in in, in football, which is got to play complementary football. We got to be good, you know, an offense, defense, and special teams at the same time. Yeah, generally good teams are good at the same time. But uh, but when you look at this defense, just to be positive for a moment, because I feel like this podcast has been pretty negative so far. What's working from a defensive point of view? What's working, particularly when Rashad Jones is playing? How did they limit? What was a pretty high-powered offense? We talked about it a lot in the pregame show. How did they limit a pretty high-powered offense to thirteen or yeah, thirteen offensive points?
2: It's the DBs. The DBs are making plays. Kiko's Keiko, been playing well this year in the linebacking core. I can't say that about Jerome Baker or, or Raquan. They're struggling in the run. They're struggling with their reads. You know, slow feet, real jittery, but not really making many plays. Minka Fitzpatrick, Xavier Howard, and Rashad Jones. They're, that's why this defense is pretty good. Xavier Howard, he's not Patrick Peterson, but he's sneaking up there. He's top 10. And you have Minka in that slot. When Minka could get in the slot before Rashad's injury, Minka in that slot, Xavier on the number one guy, and then whoever's backside, if it's Tankersley who's struggling, McTire, whoever is that backside guy. McCain, when he's in there, is the best way, but he's been injured. This secondary is keeping him in the game. The front seven, they're bend but don't break. They're going to give you some runs. They can't cover back. But the secondary, knowing that they're going to limit those big plays, those huge plays, even with the Jordy Nelson, two big plays, after one of those, the next play was an interception. So bend but don't break style. But what's keeping them in games? to answer your question, Chris, is a, a pretty good secondary, a young secondary. Guys are coming around. If Xavier Howard didn't work, if Xavier Howard ended up being what Tankersley is doing, they would be in trouble right now because they wouldn't have a, a number one corner. They'd have a bunch of twos across the board. So I would say the secondary is keeping a minute. Kiko had, I want to say, 35 tackles, 38 tackles in two games in one stretch this year. He's doing okay. But the front the front four, they are decent to below average because I watched what the Patriots did to them. If they get comfortable, pin their ears back. Gay said one time, and I think a lot of people overlooked it, and it kind of gets to me now thinking about what he said before. He's like, we're, defensively, we're built to have a lead. That means that you're not built to play the run. That's exactly what that means. But if you have a lead, they have to pass it to get back. We understand that. He said, we're built to, to have a lead. But if your team's not built to get a lead, how are you going to build your defense to keep a lead? And I think that's the flaw in the front four is where they weren't going to get big stout bastards. They weren't going to get big. They weren't going to get Haloti Nadas. They weren't going to get those Picos. They weren't going to get those, you know, Keith Trailers, Ronnie Holliday, Kevin Carters. They were going to get these shifty little cute guys that can't sit there and choke a grown man out if they want to play choke-out football. The front seven is a softer a softer group, but what's keeping them in it, To so the big-picture question, I think the secondary, this young secondary, Minka Fitzpatrick will be a pro bowler. Xavier Howard will sooner or later be a pro bowler. Rashad Jones is a monster. If anybody questions Rashad Jones, I don't think they know football. I think that secondary group that's, that's getting patched up right now I think that's why this defense is pretty good because if you see these, these very timely interceptions, the two interception games out of Xavier Howard, two interception games out of Rashad Jones, if you take those two interceptions against Tennessee from Rashad Jones, take those two that Xavier had, they don't win those games. So the reason why they were 3-0 and is because of this secondary making very advantageous turnovers in the right situation. Xavier Howard has had two interceptions in the end zone. That's a swing of seven points. If they went and scored, which I would assume they didn't, it would have been a 14-point swing. That's that's why this team was 3-0, and that's why the defense looks decent, is because they have a very, a very talented young secondary. That's making plays when they have to.
1: All right. We're going to do the hardest thing we've ever done on this podcast. Uh, now, this is like 120 episodes. We're going to do three rapid fire questions with Channing so that he can get to what he has to do for the rest of the day. All right. So we're going to try to do these quickly. First one. What would you do with Devonte Parker?
2: Trade him. Try to get anything. It'll probably be an eighth round draft pick. <laughs>
1: <laughs> would you
2: would y'all give up anything for Devonte Parker if you want another team?
1: No. Hell
2: no. Hell no. We'll get an eighth round pick and a damn box of chocolates.
1: (laughs) All right. Second one. What do you see from Raekwon McMillan so far?
2: I see a guy that looks the part. He's he's not reading it. He's not reading it right. He's very jittery. Watch his feet. He's moving. He's moving when the ball snap, but he doesn't know where he's going. The fits. Knowing where. Knowing where his protection is. Knowing where his support is. If he's supposed to spill it, squeeze it, he doesn't understand concepts of defense. He knows how to play football. I believe he can be good in the future, but he has to be coached up. Not calling out the defensive coaches but he doesn't look like he knows what he's doing on a regular basis as I watch him during the game.
1: All right. Third and final one. Can the season be salvaged? Because this is the most negative. Look, I, and, and you're familiar with this because Dolphin fans yeah. can be negative and uh, everything's the worst. And, and we've been you know, negative. And, and we've been, well, this pod. Yeah. I mean, but we were also the podcast that after 2-0, and I think the title of our pod was, why can't we just enjoy the Dolphins 2-0 start? We were giving the fans a hard time and the fans were right. So, okay, three and three and two right now. I mean, you're still positioned to get a wild. – they're not winning the division, but you're still positioned to potentially get a wild card spot, but you now have no offensive linemen. Um, can this be salvaged, Channing?
2: Yes, it can be salvaged, but you hit it on the head. When we started asking the question, I was going to tell you, it's not Eric Flowers going to get his big sorry ass, but they have to solidify this old line, and I think they can do something. I think if they get innovative, if they say to the hell with it, we're not a great team – If Adam Gay says we're not great, let me figure out a way to win. So to answer your question, big picture, I would say if they try to figure out a way to win and not say my shit works, let's just do it. That's how they can salvage it. The secondary gets healthy. McCain comes back. I think the defense will – honestly, I think the defense will be okay all year. Jerome Baker is going to get better. Ray Kwan will get better. Kiko is Kiko. He can play ball. The secondary is decent. Robert Quinn, Cam Wake, they're going to get theirs. The young guys in the middle, they got to play. The defense is going to be decent, guys. But Adam Gase and his offense have to not say, like Chris, you said, don't come out every goddamn game with that quick game early and say they, they don't know. They know exactly what's about to happen. Don't do what you do. Do what it takes to win offensively. And I think the defense will be stout. I really do believe in these, this, this young secondary and the front seven if they just keep playing Ben Bedolk. They're not the Buccaneers or the Ravens I talked about earlier, but I do believe in the defense. It's all on this offense and all on Adam Gase. Gacy Hill, Tanny Gase. The whole connection. They have to do what it takes to win and not just say, run my offense. It's not working. Get away
1: from it. Official Crowder. Follow him on Twitter. Also, check him out with Mark Hockman. Every day from 2 to 6, we give Hawkman a hard time and vice versa, but it's a great show. So check him out. Check him out on QAM. And thanks to Channing for always being so nice to my daughter since I seem to run into you everywhere in South Florida. We will talk to you soon. <laughs>
2: Appreciate y'all, man. Like I said, congratulations, man. Five reasons y'all doing y'all thing.